0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our upcoming webinar on how to distill your company's secret sauce using storytelling as a vehicle for knowledge transfer. You can find more information about the webinar and a link for registration in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 302. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am so excited about today's guest. He is our first three-time returning guest to Criteria for Success. At some point, we're gonna have to be like SNL and get like jackets. um, And I guess he'd probably be the first person to do that. But he is the CEO of Narrative, which helps companies engage their clients, their staff, and their leadership so they can take action and activate behavioral change. He works to align teams of all sizes in a variety of industries. And he's based near us here in New York City. So welcome back to the show, Jerome DeRoy. so great to have you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, and proud to be the first three-time guest. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll need a jacket at some point.
0: Yes. Uh, So episode 35, episode 199, and now 302. So about once every 100 or so, I think. Right. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I just um, gave people the really high level bullets of your bio. um, And I'm sure some longtime listeners might remember you. But could you introduce yourself for our new listeners and for people who might not have that distinct memory? Um, And maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the key steps on the journey to where you are Mm. today.
1: Sure. Happy to. Uh, Well, thanks again for having me. It's really great to be back. Love, love the podcast and what you're doing at Criteria for Success. And um, so, yes, so as as you said, my name is Jerome DeRoy and I'm the CEO of Narrative. Um, Narrative is a company that was uh, founded in 2000. um, And really the uh, germination of this uh, company even started in the mid-1990s. But I came to it a little bit later. I came to it in 2000 seven after a career in finance um in hong kong to be specific and uh, one of the the stories that i like to tell about the the steps on this journey to narrative is that mm-hmm. for that job after um graduating from business school i took a job in in finance and it was uh, for a rather big bank that was based in paris i, I grew up in france so uh, I graduated in, in Paris and uh, and I went to work for this for this bank. And then I was a I was in the marketing department at the time and they had an opening in in Hong Kong. And so I took that that opportunity. And um, at 23, 24 years old, I, I was, you know, entering. The offices of this bank on Hong Kong Island on the fifteenth floor, and I remember walking into this uh, large open desk office with floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the the bay. And um, someone greeted me. She was the uh, the head of HR, and uh, and she said, "Come with me. Your your desk is over here, where you can see these beautiful views. But I'm taking you somewhere else right now, so that we can do your onboarding." And um, and so I followed her through a corridor and the corridor got darker and darker as, as I was following her <laughs> <laughs> until we finally got to a room um, and and she pointed me to another room that didn't have any windows and just a table and two desks and she gave me two big binders and she said, uh, could you go through these binders in the next 48 hours please and then we'll, we'll talk. And uh, so that's what I did for my first two days. I went back home, you know, to sleep. But but otherwise, I looked at these binders. And these binders said compliance was on one, and the other one was the employee handbook. Um, and so I read all about everything and and then I watched some training videos for the, the third day there and so it was about a week until I, I met a human being who was related in any way to my role and job and and finally I did and I met the person who I was there to replace his name was Philippe and he was supposed to leave within a week of my arrival but mm-hmm. for some administrative reason he ended up st- taking uh, about another six months um, and Thank goodness, because I followed Philippe everywhere to understand what my job was, to meet mm-hmm. all the relevant people. I mean, he even he would take me out for drinks, for dinner, for lunch, and he even showed me the best tailors in Hong Kong so I could spruce up my suits. And But without him, I would really not have known as much about what it took to do this job in a very practical and concrete way. And I noticed that every three months or so from the moment I started, people would walk into my boss's office, the managing director, and and they would walk into his office and then a few minutes later walk out and say, you know, I quit my job today and they were really happy about it. And my boss, Lawrence, would come to me and say, well, I guess, you know, and he would say this to other people too, I guess other companies pay better, you know, Paris is not giving us enough money to develop our people, et cetera. I tell this story now because it it directly relates to the efforts we've been making at at Narrative for the past Mm -hmm. few years around engaging people at work, whether it's their staff, the leadership, but everyone around what it is that this bigger picture of what you do is and how important it is to engage people around that. Because otherwise, every three months, people will walk into your office and say that they're leaving because... The people were not leaving because others were paying better. They were leaving because they weren't engaged at work. And that pretty much would have happened to me if the person I was supposed to replace uh, had left in time, Mm -hmm. you know, in a timely manner. Uh, I'm pretty sure that after three months, I would have been one of those people uh, because there was nothing in that organization that was structured to help me engage with how I could develop my talents, how, you know, what my perspectives might be, um, or for that matter, what my story might be. And I think that's really where storytelling has a a crucial role to play. It's really in in helping people understand how to do what they do, but also why they do what they do and, Mm -hmm. and sort of understand why you're part of this collective narrative that is your company and this collective culture and how you can contribute to it in a way that makes you feel uh, like you belong, and like you're important. I was feeling none of that in that organization. And so that's what I've been working to address uh, for the better part of tw- almost 20 years now.
0: <laughs> Man, time goes by so fast, it doesn't it? Crazy. <laughs> I joined CFS in 08, and I just, uh, it's hard to believe. <laughs>
1: yeah, but yeah.
0: Um, I love that story. And the fact that it kind of planted the seeds For what Mm. it is that you're doing now, because you're all about helping people engage and connect to their organizations. Um, obviously, we are talking in April 2021, uh, the last mm-hmm. little more than a year, engagement has looked a lot different than mm-hmm. it looked before. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear about how you've seen your work change over the past year, um, both in maybe the challenges and the problems that your clients are bringing to you and the different ways that you've approached your work with your clients to um, better fit this environment.
1: Mm, yeah, no, things have definitely changed um, pretty radically. Um, certainly what we're seeing with our clients, um, you know, most most of our clients are actually, uh, would have considered themselves um, an in-office culture uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I recently, uh, back in September, wrote an article about the value of the water, water cooler conversation mm-hmm. uh, on LinkedIn. And, you know, all of these, clients had the proverbial water cooler, essentially a place where people gather to have informal conversations and share ideas and share things that aren't even about the workplace. But out of those conversations, very often come innovations and ideas that you wouldn't have thought of Mm -hmm. in the meeting that you had with that person that was very structured and formal around a a particular agenda. And so having these agenda-less um, conversations, that's where we're seeing the biggest change, is that those are no longer happening, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so many clients now are telling us that they're struggling with this because there's a, a bit of a disconnect between employees and their leaders, and vice versa. And also people who are just uh, you know coming into organizations mm-hmm. who are new hires and, and don't have the benefit that others had, of meeting people, you know, in a corridor or at lunch or, you know, dinner, whatever Philippe was doing with me, uh, you know, in my context, all those years ago, um, that's really, you you really have to do that very intentionally and deliberately now. It's not, it's not really, you can't really leave it up to chance. Um, And so many of our clients are now coming to us, you know, asking us, how can we, is there a way to address this through, through storytelling? Because... That's a lot of what would happen around the water cooler. People would tell each other stories, and that's you know mm-hmm. very much um, the the basis of what we do as a company is that we facilitate those conversations. But we also um, you know teach people how to actually do that, how to tell stories. But not necessarily what's changed is that we we didn't used to tell people you know where to do that. Um, it, it sort of was quite natural to find a place to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we
1: have to sort of really think about. You know, where is the place and time that we can do this in a way that's remote uh, and that still works for people and still leaves people feeling uh, connected to one another? That, that's really the biggest thing that's changed is that there's, there's this feeling of not being connected to each other, to the mission, to what it is that we're doing because we're, we're not in it every day as we would normally be in an office.
0: Definitely. Um, It's interesting too, because I know um, we've spoken about this before, but what's interesting to see, you know, when you were talking about how um, you might be losing out on innovation and ideas Mm -hmm. because you're lacking these water cooler conversations, when companies look at the numbers, a lot of companies have actually seen an increase in productivity.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: They're seeing improvements in certain numbers. But mm-hmm. if you don't calculate the loss of the ideas that could have been come up with, the improvements, the, the that magic that kind of gets created when you have three or four people with slightly different functions, kind of just chatting and brainstorming about something, and then just an idea pops into somebody's head, and then the other person can build on it and build on it and build on it. And it's a really magical thing that happens uh, over the course of, like you said, those water coolers conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you might be very productive on doing the same old, same old (laughs) over the last year, but what could you be doing differently and better that you never even had that opportunity to identify because you were lacking that connection? And I think it's a really powerful, um, really powerful understanding and, and a breakthrough for people to realize that, yes, People are doing their work and doing it well, but there's there's a real value, not just like the warm and fuzzy people like each other, but there's real value to the organization that comes out in those um, just what seem to be casual conversations.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if if you think about um, you know the number of conferences uh, and events that we might get, go to in a different in a in a given year, and how we've you know essentially lost that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and everything's moved online. Uh, But really, I I know, speaking for myself and and clients of ours, too, because a lot of our work we do in those kinds of settings. And, um, you know, so much happens outside of the room um, Mm -hmm. at those coffee breaks and in those kind of informal networking events that happen around the topics and seminars of the conference. And, And again, that's all gone away. Uh, And it's being facilitated, the the huge opportunity that I think there is for any organization out there that's looking to engage their employees in a way that they feel uh, a sense of belonging and they feel like, you know, they're important to to the the well-being of the enterprise and they can see the impact of their contributions, no matter what position they're in in the company. Um, Well, I think there's a big opportunity here to start facilitating what I call these water cooler conversations. Mm-hmm. Because what often happens is that I think what this has put a spotlight on is that those, yes, we were losing on ideas and innovations, but I think we were losing on those many times, we were losing on those ideas and innovation anyway in certain companies and yeah. certain organizations that didn't necessarily have that kind of culture uh, because there was no one there to actually capture those conversations and to sort of analyze those conversations and say hey that's what you two are talking about here could really be interesting for that department over there and and so you know because that's the kind of thing they've been talking about but those two people who were talking at the water cooler had no idea that this other department that could be helpful to them they were just having a conversation for the sake of having a conversation but what if you could actually have people we were sort of listening, and I'm not suggesting that you should put microphones everywhere, <laughs> Big <laughs> Brother style, uh, you know, n- not like that, but sort of in a very, again, sort of intentional, deliberate way, understanding what this is about, but facilitating these conversations that aren't necessarily about work, but that are more about the themes and values that your company, your service, your product espouses, you know? And, and so, because that way, If you can take your values and themes and even your value proposition, if you're selling something, um, and take that and and look at that and sort of bring some people together and ask them to have conversations about those themes, you will see that in the stories they tell, there are many ideas that could be leveraged. And I think that at any given moment, even when people were in an office, a lot of that was getting lost because... Mm -hmm. I know that you know for some of our clients what we've heard is that well you know what that water cooler conversation it's true that it was valuable but our leaders we would never see them at the water cooler you know we're a huge Mm -hmm. company we wouldn't we wouldn't see them there um and, and they were having other conversations who's to say that they had any idea about the kinds of stories we were telling that could have been useful to them and to make decisions and we certainly didn't feel empowered enough to go into their office and say, hey, I just had a conversation with the water cooler that, you know, gave us an idea that we want to pitch to you. So I think this is a big opportunity for for these companies and organizations who perhaps, um, you know, didn't have a a culture of gathering ideas. This is a great opportunity to do so because it doesn't take much to do so. All you Mm -hmm. really have to do is create that Zoom meeting, but instead of having it around the agenda, of you know, we're selling this product to these prospects and that's what we're going to talk about today is pain points. Well, actually, let's do that one, but then another day, let's do one around the themes and values that we espouse and what are some of the, the stories that you have about those that perhaps we could leverage for for something else or not. You know, that's the that's the whole thing, right, Is is the whole idea is to give them a space to do so because the first Um, the first kind of priority is to give people a way to connect that they just haven't had in the last year and a half.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much there. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of jump back a little bit because I think uh, a great example of what you were just talking about in terms of the ideas, not actually bubbling up Um, so often In our work, we've talked to salespeople and customer service people, Mm -hmm. and they will relate to us information, you know, um, about uh, feedback they're getting. For example, from prospects and from customers about improvements that they want made to products, and they've been hearing this feedback and talking to each other about this feedback Mm -hmm. for you know months, if not years. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I had another client complain about the the way we implement our program, and how they just wish that we did XYZ. Yeah, I hear the same thing. And then a salesperson jumps in. of like, yeah, I wish that we had a better way to explain this also, so that we didn't have this confusion and didn't cause this problem. And they're just kind of griping, right, about the differences. And then you've got the product manager or the implementation manager. If they happen to overhear that conversation, they might have a light bulb go off. But if not, it just gets lost. And it's just this ongoing frustration. And so in these times, we're missing out on, first of all, is that conversation happening? Is it even just a chat that's happening on Slack, you know, back right. and forth, these ideas right. versus having a conversation to say, one of our values is um, is we're providing an easy customer experience. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how we live out that value. Who has stories yes. of where you feel exactly. like we've accomplished that value, where you've lived that out? Who has stories where you feel like there's room for improvement or or we don't see that value and we get the right stakeholders involved? Um you can you can actually be more productive about having that conversation. Um, and I'm imagining also that there are those pe- there are a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily be, Involved in the water cooler conversations, maybe they work remotely, and they always worked remotely. Mm -hmm. Or you've got somebody in the Atlanta office and somebody in the San Francisco office, and they've never met each other. And so that's actually a benefit of doing this as a facilitated conversation over zoom, because they can, they can be there together, even if they've never met in person and wouldn't have, even before we couldn't travel. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, you've just reminded me of a, of a recent experience that we had, um, r- you know, right around this this topic um, where you use this example, you know, this is one of our values and let's have a conversation around that, uh, you know, potentially on Slack. And that's true. I mean, there are so many ways that that could happen uh, and where you could engage people who, who weren't necessarily even engaged uh, pre-pandemic. And so, um, and, and that just reminded me of one experience where you know, we recently worked with one very much a client that was very much has an in-office in culture out of out of Oregon. And, you know, the the pandemic changed everything in terms of how people work. And, and it's especially true of that of that company. And uh, but suddenly, you know, that's what they had to deal with. And so instead of doing their annual kickoff conference, you know, in person, they're now doing it virtually. And, and they asked us to be part of it. And one of the things that we facilitated was to, to see, we, we did exactly what you described, where essentially we asked them you know, what their values were, what they were about. And one of the things that came up as a theme that was really common to everything that they do in this organization was dare to be different. Mm-hmm. And, and so as a result, what we facilitated was a, a workshop where people told stories about a time where they dared to be different. And having, you know, the opportunity for them to think about, uh, listen to and tell stories of their own around this theme, and of course having, you know, a methodology of how to do it, because that, that way it's less intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they got time to prepare for it, but the but the bottom line is that what came out of it besides the, you know, and beyond the skill building uh, opportunity that this was for them was on a psychological level. So many people gave us feedback saying that, you know, we really didn't realize how much we missed having, you know, just listening to a story of a colleague or telling a mm-hmm. story to a colleague uh, and being in these small, smaller settings because it's a 100 plus people and so they had really gotten used to these Zoom meetings where there's a lot of people on the Zoom at the same time. So you, you achieve a lot uh, in, a, in a short period of time. You're, you're quite productive mm-hmm. and you have that sense that you are. Uh, but then you're missing that feeling of connection that happens when you're just talking to, to just one other person. And because we were doing these breakout groups, you know, which were pairing people up, suddenly it became more intimate and, and people mm-hmm. felt more connected. And that's when they realized, wow, You know, I didn't realize we needed that until we did that, you know, but we really did because there was a strong sense of isolation. Um, And and I suspect that this is true from what I'm reading and what I'm hearing, uh, you know, directly from clients, but even in general, the mood of the country and the world perhaps is that there's Mm -hmm. a really deep sense of isolation uh, as, a, as a you know in, in society right now and and one of the ways that we can fight that isolation is through storytelling I, I really believe that and that's you know that was one of the reasons that we exist to to begin with um, and so so I think there is a big opportunity because it, it doesn't take much all it took was for us to find what that common theme could be and then you know pair people up and and facilitate those, those stories so that people could listen and they could share.
0: I love that. And, and there's a couple of things that you brought out there. I want to jump first of all on that last (laughs) thing you said is preparing people, because as you said, if I were to just walk up to a team or, you know, start a, start a zoom with a team and say, okay, guys, um, everybody's going to tell a story. Go. Mm
1: -hmm. That's terrifying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) "Uh, what exactly do you want me to do? And even um, when we work with our clients, we ask them to document success stories of the work that they have with their clients so that they can use them as part of the marketing and selling processes. Mm -hmm. And if we just said you need success stories, we would end up with I'm sure some good ones, but probably a lot that aren't really great or that, you know, sometimes you ask a salesperson for a success story and they talk about all the great things they did to win the deal and that's helpful in some instances but not exactly what we're looking for here. And so to give people a structure and a format and just help them understand, you know, it's kind of like you're just filling in the blanks. It's a lot easier than just um the idea of telling stories. It's funny too because If you were to really analyze your speech patterns, all day we're telling stories. That's Mm -hmm. how we communicate—is storytelling. You know, how was your day? That's a story that you're asking about. Um, You know, how are you feeling? That's a story. What'd you do this weekend? And, and we're constantly telling stories, but when we're put on the spot to tell a story, it's really intimidating. So the idea of just um, facilitating it and having a structured format and having everybody do it so it's easier, and having the breakout groups of you know just a couple people so that it's less intimidating than giving your story in front of a hundred people. There are specific techniques to to make this go better than just hey everybody tell stories.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely, and and you know the really crucial first step here is, 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 to listen. And, um, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, for me, at the basis of any great storytelling, there's, there's a great listener, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for every great story that's been told, that person was being listened to by a really great listener. And Mm -hmm. so if you are putting yourself in a position to facilitate these kinds of um, stories and conversations, you, you really have to make sure that your baseline of listening is very open and that, uh, you know, it's not in any way um, impeding the person that you're asking to share uh, mm-hmm. something about themselves and about their experience. So I think for me, the first step is around what can I do to really create an environment in which people feel like they can be listened to, uh, and whether that's yes. giving people guidelines, that's, that's a big thing that we've been doing the last year, because everything's been virtual, uh, is to actually send people guidelines on how to prepare for the meeting, not in terms of, you know, uh, that's the second part, but the first part is not about, you know, what ideas do you have for a story? What do you need your story for? What, who's your audience? First thing is, what does your room look like? You know, who's going mm-hmm. to be there at that time? And, uh, and you know, what wh- when is this meeting? You know, put it on your calendar. You know, all these things that are very logistical, but that really do help to create an environment in which people feel like, okay, you know, I know that for the next half hour, I'm not going to have any interruptions. And if I mm-hmm. do have interruptions, you know, here's what I might be able to do about it. Or maybe I'll let other people know about it. Um, your, your listeners might even have an experience of this. Uh, during this podcast, because, you know, our our baby daughter did uh, let out a few yelps (laughs) while you were speaking. So maybe we'll get that on on tape, maybe not. But I certainly am aware of it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, as a result, it it sort of shifts my listening a little bit. Um, But I'm kind of, but I know that it's going to happen. And I, I know that's part of my background. I think these are the kinds of things that we've had to increasingly become more and more aware of. Uh, Because again, in an office, okay, I'll just go to conference room A, and I know that there won't be any noise there. I know that nobody's gonna call me there because I booked the room for an hour, and that's where I'm gonna be able to do this. Well, now we don't have that anymore. So, you know, going into a room, there's a bunch of different things that could happen. But if you're not aware of all those things that could happen, then they're all gonna take you by surprise, and it's really gonna derail your ability to listen to somebody else, let alone facilitate something like this. So you really have to start by just looking at the basics of, you know, when is this gonna happen? Where is this gonna happen? How is it gonna happen? And then I think the second thing is to look at who, as you were alluding to, you know, what are, what are the values and what are the themes that we want people to have conversations around? And then who are the people that could potentially model this for everybody else? Uh, mm-hmm. Because that's a, a big part of kind of, bringing down the curtain and, you know, reducing the um, fear of speaking that some people might feel. Um, If you can give some examples, if you can have some people that kind of represent this theme or value that you want people to start having conversations about, that's that's great, uh, because then you sort of are showing the structure that you want them to go through in action. And then you can give them the series of steps that you want them to take, which essentially is a series of questions, uh, just like what you said, is the basis of every conversation. How was your day? How are you feeling? Well, here you do the same, but you take that theme and value and you sort of look at that and say, okay, well, what are times in your life where that was uh, you know, successfully represented? What, was, what were times in your life where you were challenged? around that? Or maybe Mm -hmm. you didn't actually, um, you know, take ownership of that value. And what what was the negative consequence of that? You know, not just like the successes and positive consequences, but also stories where, you know, things were challenging, because that shows us how important that value or that theme is. When you don't actually follow it, negative things happen. Um, and, and so, whereas when you do follow it, that's actually often the solution to a challenge that you're, that you're experiencing.
0: Absolutely. Um, that's so important. And I also want to go back to something that you touched on earlier, because I think you, you mentioned it really quickly, but I'm sure some listeners ears perked up when you said it, because you mentioned when you were sharing those dare to be different stories, that, Mm. um, one Output of that would be um, increased skills, right? Increased learning in um, the sharing of stories. And I think sometimes people don't necessarily recognize how much of the training and the leveling up of skills and the sharing of best practices happens again, through these casual water cooler storytelling conversations, where somebody says, yeah, I just got back from a meeting. And oh, I got a question I have never gotten before. But I felt so glad that, you know, Bob was in the meeting with me, because he had the best answer. He said this. And the other person's just like, that is so great that you had Bob there, blah, 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 blah. But then that person is on a meeting three months from then and gets that same question. And hopefully they'll think back to that story and they'll have that response because they don't have Bob with them. And so we've got um, this opportunity to learn from each other and to get stories and get examples and get answers to questions and learn about skills. And that happens again naturally in the storytelling that happens day to day that might not be happening Um as much and as easily when we've got a Zoom meeting. You know, if you've got your your sales meeting in person in your office once a week or once a month, people are going to show up early and they're just going to kind of chat with the person sitting next to them. Oh, how's everything going in your territory? What's up? Um, you know, how what are you hearing from your customers? And it's all that just fun, just, you know, what's been going on with you and your family? You know, how are you doing? And
1: mm-hmm.
0: dripped into those conversations, is skill development that's happening and knowledge that's being transferred. And that's something that we're missing when it's Zoom. And, you know, it's not like when you show up to a Zoom early, you can have a one-on-one conversation with somebody easily because everybody's on and it gets messy. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's and it's not like you can even create a breakout room with just the person that you want to have a one-on-one conversation with. The leader has to facilitate yes. that. Um, yes. And so thinking about... Yes, we can't have the most casual things that we would have had before. But um, how can we potentially facilitate some storytelling specifically intended to help people learn and develop and um, and pull out some of those best practices? Because mm-hmm. you know, when you said you were following Philippe, um, that's. Mm-hmm. That's what you were doing, right? You were Mm -hmm. you were experiencing the stories and probably hearing the stories he'd tell you on the way to a meeting and the way back from a meeting. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's how that's how we learn.
1: Yes, yes, that's how we learn. And and I think you've you've uh, hit you know kind of the heart of it there because in in terms of what stories are for, you know, and and Mm -hmm. really it, it, it really is about sharing critical information that others need. If, if you think about it, you know, from since the dawn of time and the first use of stories um, mm-hmm. by our ancestors, you know, the first human beings, uh, even who couldn't speak yet, um, they could, they had the ability to actually tell stories through visual representations and mm-hmm. and they could tell you where they could tell people from their tribes, you know, where, the younger ones, you know, here's where I came across this dangerous animal while I was foraging for food. And so, and you could see that in the cave, you know, and that's, those are those representations that we've all seen. Mm -hmm. But essentially they tell a story, but they tell a story for a very specific purpose, which is survival. And, uh, and so we've taken on that, that as we've evolved as human beings, the use of stories has evolved from survival to thriving and being successful. You know, especially in a competitive world, uh, when we talk about business. And so, if you take those principles, really, what you need around these conversations is you need someone who's listening for the learning and the lessons in those conversations, in those stories that people are sharing. Because if you take the top performers in a company, uh, you know, they, they don't necessarily, some of them might have, you know, part of their success might be that they're really good mentors and that they're very good at, at delegating and transferring their own, you know, what they know about the world uh, and so that others can learn. But many, the vast majority mm-hmm. don't necessarily think about that. Um, you know, and, and many, again, the vast majority are not asked about that. Mm-hmm. They may be asked about, Hey, how did you, how did you land that deal the other day? That was really great. And, you know, eight times out of 10 people will respond, well, you know, I just do what I do. I mean, this is what I, this is who I am, you know, and I don't know how somebody could replicate that, but actually if you were in that meeting, when I was in those meetings with Philippe I could see what he was doing I could see what he was I could write down the questions he asked and then we could debrief and I could ask him about the the psychology of different people in there and I found out that some of these people that he was meeting with he had started to have conversations with two years earlier before that meeting. So there was, you know, there was a background of relatedness that existed there and that was part of his particular success. And so I could start to think about ways that I might emulate that not do the same thing because we're not the same person, but I could at least find inspiration from that in terms of what would work for me. So now imagine if we actually had a system by which, we could facilitate conversations where we're hearing these stories and and someone else is actually that's their job to actually write down what are those processes that just came out mm-hmm. of that top performer's mouth when they were telling us the story about their latest success and and knowing which questions to ask that might further refine the best practices that aren't just about what that person knows but it's about who they are, their way of being, and, and their experiences is a a part of that too, but it's really a whole and, and it's kind of understanding what makes, uh, that whole human being who they are, Uh, Mm -hmm. I think is, is the job of, of many organizations now, if they want to preserve that knowledge, but essentially really, um, figure out a way to keep it in in-house because those top performers at some point they might leave. And when a top performer leaves, we all know that it's really hard to get back to to where we were. I mean, again, this is a this is something that's really been spotlighted over the last year. So many people, you know, had to leave their companies at the beginning of the pandemic. And then some of them came back, but some of them didn't because they found other jobs. And so you know, what do you do? when one of those top people leaves and they've left with everything they know and who they are and you didn't capture uh, the essence of who they were in some way. And I think being very deliberate and intentional and structured about it um, is not something that's so difficult to do. It's it's actually not rocket science. And, uh, and it, it really will benefit uh, people down the line because otherwise you're losing Uh, something that's really, really precious and you're having to start from scratch with somebody new.
0: Definitely. And I think there are... You know, there are so many reasons that somebody might leave. Um, Mm. Whether it could even just be a promotion, you know, it sounds like Philippe was just uh, being transferred, maybe to a different location. He went to Tokyo after. Yeah, so it's not like he quit, but still, (laughs) still, you could lose those those stories. Um, What's interesting to me is I'm hearing from you that there are maybe two distinct kinds of listening that Mm. are happening. If this is being done well. That the first level of listening everybody needs to do, and that's to set yourself up both physically and technologically and psychologically to right. listen, right? right? Coming to the meeting um, the, in a place where you know you're not going to be interrupted, M- making sure you don't have a meeting scheduled literally right afterwards, um, making sure, you know, if possible depending on your situation, you know, I'm in New York City, we do not have big apartments here in New York, I am very fortunate to have a pretty decent sized apartment for New York. But, um, you know, you're, you're sitting on each other sometimes. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but the the best space that you can create to, um to facilitate to listen. Um, and so there, there that's kind of the passive listening that everybody yes. needs to do. But then yes. there's the very active level of listening that is pulling out those themes and those best practices and you probably don't want to expect that everybody on a call is doing that and that wouldn't even make sense but to make sure you have at least one person who's facilitating in that way that they don't even necessarily have to be the person running the meeting but they're just there to identify and sometimes i would imagine you do have to actually almost interrupt the story you know if if you have that top performer especially who just glosses over oh i just did the thing that i do Okay, well, what is that thing? <laughs> Can you actually walk me through that? And it, it, it's a very active sort of listening to help guide the story in the direction that's going to identify these these key elements where somebody's probably doing things differently. Um, so often, we find that there are the top performers in companies, and it's just viewed as their magical superstars. <laughs> and yes, there is sometimes you know everybody has their own unique magic that they're bringing, but so much is specific best practices and habits that they do. And that Mm -hmm. many of them, they don't even recognize they're doing because it's just something they've developed over the years, that if you can pull those out and identify them, um, again, through that really active, intentional listening, uh, those are best practices that, you know, newer employees and even their peers um, would really benefit from.
1: Yes. And I think for for your listeners, you know, that's where storytelling principles are really helpful um, Mm -hmm. because when you think about a story um, and what makes it compelling is that it usually has three elements. The first one is around the beginning of the story, you are successfully setting up what is at stake. Now that means that it's whatever makes you care about what's gonna happen next to the character that we're following. And mm-hmm. so generally, in the beginning, something is going to happen that makes us feel like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen next and and it, it resonates with us and that's where choosing you know specific themes and values that resonate for everyone in the company um, is is really important because then we'll see at the beginning of that story how you know is this relevant to me That's the beginning mm-hmm. first step the, the second, is around the middle of the story there's a turning point and that turning point indicates a moment of change and every story on earth has it uh, mm-hmm. it can't be a story if there isn't that mo- that turning point that moment of change and 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 that again is something that we naturally recognize because we consume stories all the time and so you know it's not that difficult to to recognize or understand it's more difficult to do for ourselves so if I'm working on my own story, it's really important for me to have a listener that can recognize that because it's it's mm-hmm. I'm really caught up in the details of my story. Should I say this? Should I not say that? Is that too much? Is that too little? But a, a, a discerning listener will be able to say, "Well, okay, well, when when was the moment of change? You know, when was when did you realize that that challenge you might actually have a solution for it? You know." And so mm-hmm. that's the second, that turning point and defining that. And then the third is the resolution. The end of the story resolves what you set up at the beginning so that it's really satisfying for your audience. And I think mm-hmm. when we apply these principles to you know, meetings and to um, when we have conversations with people uh, and we want to be more productive about them, if we apply those principles and start to recognize that, then questions will start to arise naturally, you know, because Mm -hmm. we know that we want to fill out that story essentially. Uh, Even if you didn't set out to tell a story or to, or or even if someone else didn't set out to tell a story, it's still helpful to ask questions as if you were listening to a story that you wanted to have a satisfying end to. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, so those, you know, if you, if you kind of stick to those principles, you'll find the questions to ask around those three elements that are going to help, you know, that top performer and that person whose whose knowledge you're trying to capture and share, it'll help that person, you know, because then they'll be, oh yeah, right. I did, you know, I did that, that was a moment that was really challenging for me where I wasn't quite sure where that was going to go. Okay, so so what did you do to get yourself out of that situation? You know, mm-hmm. what, what did you draw inspiration from? Um, And then they'll, they'll elaborate on that, you know, so it's really all about helping, helping the storyteller, essentially. Uh, That's, that's that, that second part of, you know, the, the, the listener, uh, the listener's skill, uh, I think is what you were talking about. And, and that's really where uh, it's critical to have someone who, who can ask those questions and who can guide the person towards that finish line.
0: Absolutely, uh, I could see that basic structure even helping um, in the middle of a situation to help somebody articulate. Okay, so what what are we solving for here? What's at stake? Right. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're you're a salesperson and you're trying to figure out how you want to close a deal, or um, you're a leader and you're trying to figure out how to do something within your team. Um, to then have a conversation with somebody and really help them articulate. Okay, what's at stake? What are we? What are really we really? Um, you know. Trying to solve for what's what's the potential pain, and then we are currently planning the moment of change. What would be the ideal resolution, and to really articulating that, and that can almost help you determine what's the kind of change that you should make because you can think forward to the resolution. So um, it's almost using a, a storytelling motif and structure to plan the future story you want to be able to tell. Um, in order to determine what action you want to take.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think um, you know th- this. This reminds me of, of of a company we worked with in in uh, the fintech world. You know, very competitive. Uh, many many products. You know, look alike. And so, how do you differentiate yourself? And and this was a new product on top of it. So they didn't have a huge you know long track record. Um, so they really had to dig into the stories of the salespeople who were themselves veterans in the field um, of, mm-hmm. of finance and banking and you know, and were all, you know in charge of, of selling this this new product, but they had 20 years of experience in the field. And so we really leaned into that and, and asked them, you know, to tell us more personal stories around their experiences. And then that allowed us to then say, you know, well, you've had this rich experience and this rich career where you've experienced many of the pain points and challenges that this new product solves. And you're sort of saying, if only that product had existed when I was trying to do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. but I couldn't because this product didn't, didn't exist. So you really have to to, and that's kind of the imagine if now. You know, yeah. Uh, I've told you what I've represented what your pain points and challenges are, and I'm showing you the solution, and I'm and I'm asking you to to you know come with me on this journey towards the future, essentially. And and you're absolutely right. It becomes a, it becomes a planning tool. Uh, but also uh, an act of, you know, kind of taking people on that future journey and saying, you know, here we are now and here's a glimpse of the future. Why don't you come with me um, mm-hmm. so that we can we can make that future real?
0: Absolutely. Um, I wanted to go back a little bit. I know we need to start winding down, but something I wanted to touch on is you mentioned um that you, you had this client and you identified a value that they had and you asked people to tell stories about it, right? The dare to be different value. It could be any value. Uh, I would imagine that those stories, if you were to capture them, could be a really powerful tool in the organization. Um, what are some ways that you've seen clients leverage those stories, not just for in the moment, but for long-term resources? long-term resources that they can use moving forward
1: yeah well that's that's actually exactly what this company is doing um, you know based based on this we our next phase now that we're currently working on is uh, people are submitting their stories online uh, mm-hmm. through a platform that, that we created with them and and essentially that we're we're tagging what's really important and I and I think what people can do um, you know your listeners as inspiration, certainly, is find a a way to, to, you know, just ask people to submit stories around this theme or value that's important, and then create, ask them to actually tag their stories with particular data elements. Um, So, for example, one of the things that we did, we added four categories to it. We said, you know, what's the story about in just one sentence? Um, what are sort of the? This is their language that they all understand. What are the value drivers that are represented? And essentially, those are the values uh, of the value proposition. You know, what are, what's, what what does this what does your product service deliver? And they have these value drivers. That's what they call them. So we ask them, you know, what do you think this story represents in terms of those four value drivers? And so they fill that in, and then they fill out for what audience? You know, what's the audience type? that you generally have. And so they'll say, you know, customer prospect or stakeholder, et cetera, consumer, general audience, um, and they'll fill that out. And then the fourth one is, there, is, is simply their location because that, that's one of the things that's important to them as well as, is the geographic locations. But mm-hmm. just having that data, so now what's that, what that's allowing us to do is as people are submitting these stories, we don't necessarily have to look at all the stories or listen to all the, the multitude of stories to understand what they're about because we've captured that data. The, the person who's actually mm-hmm. in charge of telling their story and submitting it, we can see it. So that creates now categories. So we can now say, well, there are 10 stories that are about this value driver. There's 20 stories that are about that value driver and 30 stories mm-hmm. that are about this one. So that kind of allow us to say, all right, well, let's create now our story library, essentially. So that if I'm going on a, on a sales call, or if I have a meeting with one of the leaders of the company, there will be a category in that story library where someone has gone through that experience and I can listen to their story or watch their story. And, and I think you know these are things that people can do and create, uh, not necessarily exactly in the way that I've just said, but find your own creative ways to use those same principles where you have a principle, uh, you know, a structure to capture those stories, and that's simply asking people to submit stories around a similar topic, but then ask them to answer these specific questions so that you have data with it Mm -hmm. as well that you can look at, and that's gonna help you organize all of this content. Because otherwise, if you just ask people, you know, send me your stories willy-nilly, chances are nothing's gonna get done with it because it's just gonna feel very overwhelming.
0: Definitely. I I really love that because I imagine then, Potentially, a person might identify um, some audiences that they don't expect because, for example, a potential audience might be um, potential new hires, right? Mm -hmm. That if you're telling these stories that talk about your values and I'm looking at working for this company, that would be a great thing to see real employees sharing stories about that value. Um, If you have a website that touts this value all over the place and your prospective customers have a chance to see people telling stories or you know, read the stories um, that real employees shared, they're going to really get the sense that this isn't just a value that you say you have, but it's something you're living out. So um, again, having that audience tag or whatever it is, it might be something that somebody outside the story has, uh, has to identify because somebody... Might not recognize within themselves how powerful their story is. Yeah, I mean, but- often you know,
1: it's where it, where we've we found people to to support that effort is often in the learning and development or talent management field uh, within the company. Mm-hmm. You know, they they often have their their ear to the ground in terms of, you know, here's here's what what we feel you know these stories are about, or their audiences, or the kinds of audiences that we want to reach whether that's internal or external. So sometimes it's going to be the CMO or, you know, whoever that might be. Uh, but within the company, there are already people who, who sort of understand, you know, what they might need this for and what the potential mm-hmm. is. But, you know, on your, your example is very astute because um, we, we worked with one, uh, you know, people department in a venture capital firm, and they ended up using the stories that were being submitted as a way of recruiting people, actually. Um, And by putting those on their websites and whenever they went to, uh, you know, job fairs and things like that to, uh, to showcase what their company does, they had, you know, their own employees telling stories about how the values of this company were lived out and how important that was to them and how different that was from other venture venture capital firms. And you could, as a, as a potential, as a candidate, you know, and a potential new hire, you could start to see how, what it might be like concretely to work in that company, not just in terms of you know, the skills that you need uh, in order to contribute to, to your future job, but also you know, who are these people that you're about to, to start working with uh, or that you're considering to start working with. And that has often made the difference um, is what they've reported back to us, is that you know, that ability to showcase how we do what we do in these in these very simple kind of short stories, um, but powerful, you know that that makes it very real for candidates.
0: Absolutely. And I think all the way back to the beginning when we were talking about the differences kind of um, since Covid started, One thing that often would happen when everybody was not everybody, but when so many companies were were in offices together is let's say you're planning on hiring somebody, they'd have the opportunity maybe to go out to lunch with. Um, the person who would be their manager and a couple of people who would mm-hmm. be their peers and right. they get those opportunities to just you know what's a day in the life um and and get a sense does everybody seem super super stressed out okay this is probably a stressful job does everybody seem um like they like they get along pretty well and they know each other pretty well okay this is a team that that values that and that's something that unfortunately that's Less likely to happen, if not completely impossible to happen in these times. So um, you can get an element of that in these stories. And then potentially, if you're doing this really intentionally, and you're selecting good stories, you're going to get an even better result than you would have gotten before. Because let's say you go out with the sales manager and a couple of salespeople, and it just wasn't the right fit. Or you had somebody who was having a really bad day, or they just had a really <laughs> tough, um, you know, selling situation, and they're they're not going to be their best self. Um, certainly, you know, there's still benefit to that. But if you instead have a selection of stories that are Widely representative, um, somebody's going to get a better perspective than just the two people who happen to be available to go to lunch with them.
1: Yep, absolutely. I, I think that's you know that's the opportunity is to direct the conversation as opposed to leaving it all to chance. So that as you said, you know if I'm if I'm having a bad day, you know maybe that that's not I'm not being very representative of, of what's going on and through no fault of mine, but it's just going to come come through come through that way. But if you've had a chance to actually you know, direct that and, and find those common themes and those values and really find the right people to tell those stories. Um, everyone has a story to tell. I, I, mm-hmm. I really believe that. And it's, it's one of our core values uh, and, and everyone can learn to tell their story better but not everyone has a story to tell about a specific topic. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you, know, you really have to find the right people. And I think that's, that's exactly what you just said, is, is that there is an opportunity to direct that a little more as opposed to saying, you know, everyone's gonna go through this, you know, every week someone's gonna take someone else out for lunch, which is a really good intention. I mean, it, you mm-hmm. know, I think it's a great initiative, but I think what this last year has shown us is that we can really control the narrative a lot better um, than we have, and, and that it, it's, it's actually, it feels, you know, when I say the word control, the narrative, it can kind of feel like a PR stunt, but it's actually contradicts, it, it's paradoxical because it, it, it actually is, it's going to come out more genuine, uh, because mm-hmm. again, it's the right people who really believe in this stuff that you're talking about, who are going to tell those stories. I, I have an example of this with, again, that venture capital firm that we worked with, you know the investment people are very different from the people who, uh, you know, work on on selling uh, those packages to others, mm-hmm. and and so as a result, you know, it, you're not asking the same. You're not asking the people to sit, to tell the same stories, um, and, and you realize very quickly who's really um, good at embodying that particular value or theme, and who where. Who doesn't really uh, follow that because it's not really part of their role and their Mm day-to-day job. And so why try to, um, you know, spend a lot of time and energy on that person when you already have the right story to tell? And it's more about now that I know that that person isn't quite the right person, maybe there's something I can do that can actually help them, that can that can help them get to a point where they feel more comfortable with that topic or that theme or that value. Uh, And and again, it's sort of like the sharing of resources as opposed to asking everyone to do the same thing. But over time, everyone will have the same familiarity with all those topics and themes. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, you just can't uh, think when you're starting that, you know, everyone will be on the same page.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I like the idea of potentially identifying, you know, specific values that different constituencies within your your organization might be able to speak to more strongly than others. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you're probably not going to find somebody in your compliance department that has a whole lot to say about dare to be different. Um, That's Mm -hmm. just a speculation, right? But but there's probably another value that they could speak to really passionately and not to align people on the compliance side, it's very, very important. Um, just not usually a lot of creativity and daring to be different there. Um, right. And so, really yeah. thinking through what are the different values that you want to represent in your stories, and both at like a department level and at an individual level potentially, um, who are the best people to tell those yeah. stories? Yeah. Um, again, that's that facilitation, that structure. That's not just throwing everybody to the wolves.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, that's, that's certainly one way uh, to do it. And, you know, the, the way that, that uh, the other client I was talking about earlier who, who had that theme of Dare to be Different, what's interesting there and what's going to be coming out is that, you know, they're submitting lots of stories from lots of different people. And because we're getting this data along with the stories, we can actually literally tell who are the people who have the stories about this particular topic and that particular topic. And, mm-hmm. and so having armed and equipped with that, then we can actually go back and, and make a selection of people for particular topics. And those are the, are, are the ones that are going to end up in that, in that story library. So, um, so it's also kind of using this storytelling structure and these principles Almost like a funnel, essentially, where, you know, mm-hmm. everyone or a lot of people are submitting stories and then you use that funnel and the data you're getting from those stories as a way of of really, you know, distilling uh, what those messages are and who are the are the messengers, essentially.
0: Definitely. All right. Well, we could probably keep talking for quite some time, but fortunately, we have a webinar coming up. We're we're going to yes. be taking a deep dive into some of these topics, and that's going to be with you and me and um, and our CEO Charles Bernard. So, um, all the information about that will be in the show notes. But before we wind down, um, a question I always like to ask is, what are some resources that you would recommend to our listeners? That could be books, it could be podcasts, it could be videos, um, anything that you might find. Um, that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have I have two that are, are coming to my mind now, um, and and one is uh, I alluded to it, but I, I do recommend that people um, read the article that I wrote about the value of the water cooler conversation and and what to replace it with because it's not just mm-hmm. about um, essentially you know what we've lost, but it's actually. What could you do about it? Uh, and thats it's called The Value of the Water Cooler Conversation. You can find it on LinkedIn uh, if you type those keywords there. And you can also find it on our blog, on our website, which is narrative.com, N-A-R-A-T-I-V.com. Um, and then I would also like to recommend that, you know, this is more of a, a broad idea than a specific book or, or website, mm-hmm. but certainly that people start to look at those principles you know what what makes a good beginning what makes a good turning point and what makes a good ending you know thinking about what's at stake what's what's that moment of change and what's the resolution that's that you know concludes what you set up at the beginning i think if you go to your next meeting and and sort of listen for that as you as you listen to the various mm-hmm. people in your meeting and just position yourself as a listener and see what questions might arise uh, just out of curiosity for, for those three elements. You know, have you, did you hear anything about what was at stake there and why you should care? Did you hear anything about a moment of change or did you hear anything about a clear resolution? And if you didn't, start asking questions and see what that does for the, for the meeting.
0: Absolutely, that is that is really great advice. It's funny because we have a three part structure for success stories when we ask clients to document mm-hmm. them, and it, it maps to your structure exactly. We say first, what was the situation at the beginning? What was the you know problem that you were solving? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the what's at stake. And then second is what was your solution? So that's the moment of change, right? You sold something and they did something different. And then third, what was the tangible benefit, which is what was the solution um, mm-hmm. that they received. And if you can identify those three things in any kind of a story, um, that's that's the meat of the story. That's the real, um, that's, that's, that's the core of it. And you know, a lot of things around that are important and helpful, but if you don't have one of those three things, you're really missing out. So um, very important. All right, Jerome, it has been so fun talking to you. I always enjoy our conversations. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, uh, where would you like them to go?
1: Uh, Well, narrative.com, our website, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. So it's spelt with just one R and no E. People are certainly welcome to send me an email, Jerome at narrative.com. And and the other, um, I would say, is if you want to learn about, our particular method, we have a book that's out that's called Powered by Storytelling. And it's by our founder, uh, Murray Nossel, N-O-S-S-E-L. And that's, you can find that on Amazon and anywhere, anywhere you find books. Uh, there's various versions of it, audiobook, uh, ebook, and, and of course the paperback itself. So there you go.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being here with me today, Jerome. It's been a lot of fun.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me again.
0: All right. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Jerome and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 302. Make sure to tune into the podcast next week for another great guest. I think, I can't remember. It's one of two people. It's either a PhD or it is a comedian. So um, there's quite a variety between it, who, who that might be next week. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, we would love it if you could recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that. That way you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love to hear your feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteria Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS playbook. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's talk sales is a production of criteria for success.
1: Happy selling.